Grab your uh, Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and obviously you heard uh, we're going to be talking about marriage. <laughs> the one thing, here, here's what I will say. The one thing that everybody loves to hear about, but at the same time never likes to look inwardly to say, how do I make my marriage better? And I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you with that. I think there are a number of things that go on in our world, but right now I believe that having the right directions matters. This last week, I was uh, building or putting together that table that's right outside the sanctuary now off to the left, uh, and the directions were messed up. Anybody ever get bad directions? Like, I get, I get part of it put together, and I'm like, what the heck is wrong? Like, I'm reading these directions, right? And they had mislabeled the directions backwards. And so I had to retake everything apart and put it back together the way I wanted to put it together because I needed to get the pieces to fit. And that's the way marriage works a lot of times, because we can get bad directions in bad ways from bad people or with bad intentions and not build the marriage in a proper way and not have the pieces fit the way they're supposed to fit in the first place. And I believe that that's wholeheartedly what's going on in our world and our society. When it comes to marriage, we're looking for answers in different areas and answers in different ways and answers uh, for problems and difficulties and struggles. And, and listen, this, this affects you whether you're single or married or divorced or you've been married and you're remarried or, or you want to get married in the future or maybe you never want to get married. This has everything to do with who you are. It has everything to do with how we function as a church. And it really has everything to do with how God works in the lives a believer. So having the right directions matters. So that's why today's sermon title is Marriage Matters. If you have your Bibles again, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, follow along with me as we read. It says, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now let me clarify, we got to remind ourselves where we're at contextually, all right? The first thing that God says or that Peter tells us in this is that we're to be submissive to who? Does anybody remember? The authorities that are placed over us, in other words, the, go the government, the law, we, we submit to their rule as long as it's legal, as long as it's in line with what God says. We can disobey our government and we can disobey the law when the law violates what scripture says. Does that make sense? So we're submissive in that way so that they see the good in our lives and can come to glorify God. So I submit to the law above me. Number two, it said that there was a submission to those we work for. It says, slaves submit to your masters. The idea would be servants submit to your bosses. And so as you go through your daily life, as you're working, you're submitting to those who are in authority over you in your job or in your workplace so that those who don't know or don't believe who Jesus is will at some point see your good works, how you work and what you do and how you respond, and come to glorify God as well. Now he carries on this same idea. Wives, just as you do, just as, as all believers are called, wives, just as all believers are called to submit to the authorities over you, just as we're called to submit to the, the, the bosses that are over us or our masters, wives in the same way, submit to your own husbands. Now, I know there's a lot of, wait a second, you're going against what the world says right now. We're gonna unpack what the word submit means, all right? Just a little bit, so you don't get all bent out of shape. Okay, so wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. That doesn't work in my house. I don't know if I'm just saying, right? Okay. My wife doesn't walk around the house going, oh, Master Brian. I mean, like, you know, it's not like Luke Skywalker going up to Yoda and saying, Master Yoda. It just doesn't work that way. But listen to what he says, all right? You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's pray and let's dig in. Father, we pray today, Lord, that you would just reveal to us your truth through the power of your spirit, that God, maybe there's some marriages that are struggling. Maybe there's some here who are single that are looking towards the future and thinking about getting married and what's it look like to marry a person who is honoring and, and, and Christ-like and, and somebody who puts you first in their lives. So Lord, I pray that as we dig in that we don't listen to the world around us, we don't listen to the negative comments, but we dig into your word and we let truth speak and that your spirit would convict and guide knowing that your word is, what very, is the very thing that separates us out. And so Lord, we pray today that you would have your way, and that we would learn to be obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I just talked about what it means to be having or living by or following the right directions because the directions matter, right? And what we talk about with this idea is that marriage matters. As a matter of fact, for those of you who are married, and, and I've been married for 21 years, getting married doesn't always solve problems. As a matter of fact, it magnifies them. Like anybody venture to say, yep, that's right there with that. You know, I, I, over and over and over again, I hear people say, well, I just feel like, I, you know, I'm going to marry him so I can change him. And it's like, are you stupid? <laughs> like that just magnifies the problem. Like you getting married is not going to change the individual necessarily, right? You getting married is just going to make the, the things that that individual does, it's going to magnify those things. It, so marriage matters because it magnifies the personality you have. It, it magnifies the problems in your life. It's going to magnify the struggles and difficulties. It's going to magnify the differences. Like you take a husband and wife and they get married and they grew up completely differently financially, one who spent like crazy and one who was raised to save like crazy. Guess what's going to happen? Like one, yeah, they're going to butt heads big time, right? Like one is going to be like, I got the money, I can spend it. Another one's going to be like, what are you doing? We need money in savings. Why do I need to save? We're okay. Like I have dealt with couples consistently and, and it's not just finances, It's how you relate as a family. It's the priority of church. It's the priority of who's gonna lead. It's the priority of how we're gonna raise our kids. And listen, here's what's crazy about this text in 1 Peter. Peter is literally writing to people who maybe have come to Christ or most likely have come to Christ, but who are married to unbelievers, right? So Peter comes in and and people always say, well, look, Peter has more to say to wives than he does husbands because the wives must've been in the wrong. no. Now, that's not the truth. The reality is that wives were in a different circumstance or situation because wives couldn't even inherit property. 
Like if, if a husband and wife were married and, and they didn't have kids and the husband owned all this property, when, when, when he died or if he passed away, then she lost everything. It went to a, a, a brother-in-law or somebody else. Like women had no power, no authority. And then on top of that, these women would have been under really the leadership of men who, necess- who weren't necessarily followers of Jesus, who didn't love and serve Jesus. So these ladies may have come to faith in Christ and Peter is writing this letter to say, hey, listen, here's how you respond to those who don't believe. Just as, listen, just as you submit to the authorities who may not be believers over you, and just as you submit to the bosses or the owners of the business for who you work for, even though they may not be believers over you, wives, I'm asking you to submit to your husbands, even though, listen, even though they may not be believers. And so Peter begins to unpack this in a great way. Now, listen, one of the things we have to begin to understand is he's dealing with our relationship, right? As he's unpacking in chapter two and chapter three, he's dealing with the church's relationship within society, within the government or, or how we relate to the government and law. He's dealing with the church's relationship, believer's relationship within the workplace. He's dealing now with the home and family and pretty soon he's gonna deal with how do we relate within the church? Like that's what we'll talk about next week. But marriage matters. And so when he's talking about this idea of being unequally yoked, I wanna clarify, you guys understand what I say when I say unequally yoked? Like back in the day, if you had two oxen and they would yoke them together to pull, if one oxen was stronger than the other, guess what happens? Starts to veer off course. And if it goes long enough, it's just gonna go in a big circle, right? And some of you in marriage, maybe you feel like you're in a circle. You keep repeating the same thing over and over again. You hash something out and you're right back to that same thing. And you hash it out and you're right back to that same thing. And likewise, Peter's saying, listen, when when a spiritually mature or a believer is unequally yoked with an unbeliever, there are going to be struggles and difficulties. But Peter doesn't say, hey, it's okay, get out of the marriage. Hey, it's okay to walk away. Hey, it's okay to give up. Hey, it's okay to look for that next new person. I believe wholeheartedly. Please hear me out when I say this. If you are a believer and you're looking to get married, then you should not look outside the family of God, period. That's biblical. If you come to faith in Christ later and you become a believer after you're married, that doesn't give you freedom to say, hey, I'm out. See, I was supposed to marry a believer. I'm done. See you later. Give up. That doesn't go that way either. And so there are two things that really we have to begin to understand and unpack because Peter is writing to strengthen and encourage the believers, even those who are unequally yoked. He's saying, listen, there is a living hope and that living hope comes in Christ. And so these believers are married legally, but spiritually they're single. And maybe you're a wife or maybe you're a husband who would say, I'm spiritually single. My wife or my spouse doesn't believe like I believe. And listen, he's got some great truth here. I wanted you to remember this. If you remember anything, here's the key point. A marriage built upon God's principles will reap the blessings obedience brings. A marriage built upon God's principles will reap the blessings obedience brings. Please hear me out when I say this. So if you're an unbeliever, or a believer unequally yoked to an unbeliever, your marriage, when it's built upon God's principles, doing the best you can, will reap the blessings that obedience brings. 
It may not change that person's heart, but please hear me out when I say this. Your consistent investment and love and submission preaches the gospel to the very person that you're trying to reach and pray for on a daily basis. And so, Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna give us marks. I've got marks of a godly wife and then marks of a godly loving husband, all right? Number one, the marks of a godly wife. We're gonna take these right from 1 Peter. Number one, her actions speak louder than her words. Listen to what he says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, right? There's this attitude or this action of submission that takes place. Now, I know the thoughts that come up when I tell people to submit, and we have a running joke, so please don't say, Brian, you're a male chauvinist pig. In my wife, or in my life, me and my wife have a running joke that when she says something that I know is calling me on the carpet, and I know that I need to confess or repent of, or maybe say, hey, you know, I know I'm in the wrong, here's my joke. You better submit, woman. And she'll look at me and she'll roll her eyes and she'll be like, bro, you're an idiot. (laughs) Right? Because I know I'm in the wrong. Right? And a lot of men have approached this text and a lot of times in the past in the church, we've approached this text in a way that is subservient. That a woman is subservient. Like you are here for me. Like you do my bidding. You are going to worship me. Right? Like, like, you're gonna worship the ground that my feet walk upon. And if you're that type of man, you got no biblical support. I'm just gonna tell you. I believe she should respect you, she should love you, she should submit to you. But if you think it's an act of worship, then you don't understand the role Jesus plays in the marriage. The only one to be worshiped is Jesus, period. You are not greater than, you are not over, you are not above, you are equal to. You are committed and you were created in the image of God by God to be united together as one. Not you being one and her being a half. You get that picture? So please hear me out. When the world says submission means that the woman is subservient or below, that is a lie. Is not what the Bible teaches at all. And so her actions speak louder than words. Christian men and women are equal. Scripture doesn't apply superiority of the male or the inferiority of the female, but it's simply for functionality. In other words, there is a function that takes place within the home between a man and a woman. And when it's functioning properly, hear me out, when it functions properly, everything works correctly. Right? Like, I use it this way. A man is called to be the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. This is a representation that we see. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the deacons, not even the members within the body, that we come together unified under the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ, and we function correctly when we function in the role we're supposed to. But when you step out of the role you're supposed to, then we will not ever function correctly. You wanna know why a lot of churches begin to have problems? Because there are people within the church who said, I'm not listening to the pastor, I'm not listening to the leaders, I'm gonna function, I'm gonna take on my own power, I'm gonna throw a fit, I'm gonna give it my way. And then, guess what? Functionality goes out the door, and when functionality goes out the door, the church is inept. And likewise, when the functionality within the marriage goes out the door, then the marriage becomes a struggle. You begin to have problems. 
And so her actions speak louder than words. So he says, wives, submit, or in the same way, submit or be submissive to your husbands, right? Submission does not mean subordinate. Matter of fact, only subordinate to the husband in function within the family. That's the only reason. That she is subordinate to him. Matter of fact, I'm gonna say it this way. Dominance, men, dominance within your marriage, dominance will destroy the intimacy and goodwill in your relationship. If you think you're gonna walk into a room and dominate your wife, then you are going to destroy any hope of intimacy and goodwill within that relationship. It's hurtful. Like, think about it this way to a certain extent. While Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, does he dominate us? Does he beat you into submission? No, he calls us to submit, to be lovingly obedient, to serve him, but he doesn't dictate. Now, he will discipline you. Please hear me out when I say that. Jesus will drop the hammer, right? But that's usually because you and I decide to walk into sinful ways, sinful patterns. And at that point, Jesus goes, I got no other option. You left me no option but to discipline you because you are a follower of Jesus first and foremost. So her actions always speak louder than words. And ladies, please hear me out. Your actions will speak louder than words. Remember, he's writing this to the wives whose husbands most likely were not believers. And he literally says that in verse two right? Or at the end of verse one, if any of them do not believe the word, what is that word? The good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the Bible. If any of them do not believe that word, they may be won over, listen, without words. Oh, wait a second. What? If they don't believe the word of God, they may be won over without words. In other words, by your actions, by the very thing you do. I've known ladies consistently, I've been in in ministry for 20 something years, but I have seen ladies consistently whose husbands don't believe. And there are two ways I've seen them go. There's, well, there's, there's more than that, but two major ways I've seen. There's the nag who constantly is nagging her husband, always preaching. And please hear me out. I believe there's points and times you've got to preach the gospel. We've got to love them and serve them. But they just nag and 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 nag. And then there's a wife who will take the opportunities that God gives to speak the truth of the gospel, but at the same time loves and serves and prays and loves and serves and prays. And listen to what he says. If they do not believe the word of God, they may be one without words. So let me clarify real quick because some people go, see, that means I don't have to tell them about the gospel. No, you're not missing, you're missing the point. There is a point in time, obviously, you have got to share the gospel. We have to speak the truth of the gospel. But your faithfulness, your loving submission to your husband literally will present the gospel to him as you lovingly serve and follow and obey Jesus on a daily basis. Listen again what he says. If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And please hear me out when I say this. All of us should learn from this standpoint that we all should be well aware of our behavior and our actions. What you say, how you work, what you do, how you respond, what you, how you treat other people 
That is the behavior that you live. And how you behave among those who are lost, how you behave among those who are unbelievers, speaks volumes about what you believe about Jesus. It's all of us, it's on all of us to let our actions speak louder than words. If you were to flip to Ephesians chapter five, I'm gonna just give you an idea. I've preached on this before. If you've been here, you're gonna know because I hammer this out. Everybody loves to go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. And if you were to go into your English Bible, between verse 21 and verse 22 is commonly where there's a break in a title. Like in my Bible, it breaks it up. And then in verse, right before verses 20, or right before verse 22, it says wives and husbands. But if you read verse 21, right before the whole section on wives and husbands, listen to what Paul says, lining up with what Peter says in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let me go back to this idea of dominance, Right? So before Paul deals with husbands and wives, he says that it is our job as individuals to submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. What I've found in the past is usually when a husband says, why my wife doesn't submit, is that the husband doesn't submit either. The husband expects a wife to submit when the husband will not submit at all. Matter of fact, I think of it this way, like, there's the old man thing, right? The, the, the guy thing when you're out hanging out with guys. Well, my wife wanted me to do this, but I told her, heck no, I'm doing my way. And it's like, well, really? You don't want to talk about this? Like my wife told me I couldn't go, but I decided to go anyways. Oh, so your wife asked you not to do something, but you did it. Is that submission? Out of reverence for Christ? There's a unity that takes place here that when I submit to my wife lovingly in a way that she's not dominating and dictating over me and when she submits to me lovingly in a way that I'm not dominating and dictating over her that we come together unified around the body of Christ, unified around the goal of the gospel. So listen, her attitudes, the marks of a godly wife, her actions speak louder than words. Listen to what he says one more time in verse Sorry, back in chapter three, he says this, your beauty, or sorry, uh, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your life. So there's the word action, but they need to see the purity and the reverence. How you approach your relationship with the Lord. How you pray for them daily. How you love on them and serve them regardless of how they do it. Keep in mind, Peter is talking to believing wives who are most likely unequally yoked to unbelieving husbands. And he's saying, you have to submit, lovingly submit, serve them with great grace. And listen, let them see the truth of the gospel through your purity and reverence. Here's the crazy thing about submission. And we talked about this with the legal authorities last week. And I said, the government cannot supersede or make you negate the word of God. Anytime the government goes against the word of God, then you are called to disobey. And likewise, a wife, anytime a husband would say, hey, you need to go against the word of God, now you what? Lovingly disobey. In other words, it'd be like this. Husband comes in and says, hey, we're gonna go knock up this bank. Right? (laughs) Not gonna happen. (laughs) That's not what God called me to do. Purity and reverence, right? 
Hey, I want you to do things that are against God's word. Not going to happen. Purity and reverence. So her actions must speak louder in words. Number two, her character is her greatest feature. Her character. Listen to what he says in verse three. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. It's fine to look good. Please hear me out. There's nothing wrong with looking great. Every guy said, yeah, that's right, right? Like nobody's asking for their wives to go out and just get frumpy. Please, there's times and places. I don't mind it at all. There's times and places, but it's fine to look good. But listen to me, here's the reality. The spiritual makeover is a must. In other words, the building up and the developing and the growing of the inner character and the inner self is what God takes most importantly. Her character is her greatest feature. In other words, you can look inwardly and say, man, that wife, my wife is beautiful. Like I've, I've been around long enough. I remember, it, I've, I've used this before. Um, anybody remember the Garth Brooks song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> like there were girls in high school, like, God, if I could just date her, she's smoking. And later it's like, God, thank you. You did not let me date that girl because she's a mess. Her inner qualities, her character, not anywhere where you wanted me to be at all. And I see that, and I thank you for that. But listen to me, the inner beauty of a woman is the primary thing that Jesus is getting to at this point, that Peter is trying to convey the truth of what matters. Your beauty should not come from the outward. While it's fine to do that, beauty fades. All of us, I mean, all I got, all of us, our beauty fades. Like my daughters point out consistently more and more how many more and more gray hairs I'm getting. Oh, Dad, there's another one. Dad, you got so many now I can't count. Thank you. Right? And I just remind them of Proverbs and all the older people said amen where it says gray hair is a crown of splendor. Right? Beauty fades. And listen to what he says. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. There's this idea of what, we're, what he's saying, it, but, such as braided hair. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty. Listen, it's this idea of an uncorruptible or an incorruptible inner self that God wants to work on. And so a wife, her, her, she's focusing on her inner character. Character is who you are when no one's looking, right? And so he says, don't look at the outward, but look at the inward. What is this person about? What are they building up? Your wives, wives, you should be people of inner beauty. Let the Lord build you and encourage you and develop you. The utmost importance is your relationship with God first and foremost. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Samuel is going in to look for a king, right? And he's dealing with all the sons and he comes to one and the one is, physically domineering and bigger and, and, and better. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. Anybody wanna say amen? Because a lot of times that's exactly what we do. We look at the things that we can see. Rather, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the wives or a mark of a godly wife is a wife who develops that inner beauty of obedience to God no matter what. And listen to what he says. It's the idea that her admiration is to be more biblical than worldly. 
is to be more God-centered than people-centered, to be more worried about what God thinks rather than what other think, or others think. Because it says this, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Their admiration was for those things, the inner beauty and the qualities that God offers and gives and develops and, and, and creates and grows. Can I tell you what some of the younger women in our churches need? I'll be honest. Some of you women who have been around for years, who have lovingly served the Lord, have shown the beauty of your inner character, can love on, encourage, support, pray for, and bless the younger ladies within the church and show them how to lead in a great, gracious way that God has called you as wives to lead. And I said that on purpose, to lead as wives, to lead. That's what we need. And please, when I say this, please hear this out. We have a world and a culture that we're having to deal with things we've never necessarily had to deal with. And we're having to train in ways we've never had to train before. That things that came natural, things that you were taught in your childhood are not being taught in the childhood of some of the ladies and even the men that are growing up. They're not being trained in how to make wise financial decisions and how to grow and develop and build a marriage and how to be a good worker and a hard worker. Those aren't things that are necessarily being taught and trained in every household, in every home. But character... And younger ladies, all I can tell you is look for some older women within the church that you can look and say, I want to be like that person. Because that's what he's talking about here. If you want to be a person of great faith and of great obedience and of great grace and the blessings that God wants to pour out, look at Sarah, who is obedient and submissive to her husband Abraham. I, I kind of think about that at times, and I'm like, I think Sarah probably wanted to kill Abraham a couple times. Right? Like, I mean, they're going into to, to an area, and he's like, yeah, yeah, tell them you're my sister. Wait, what? 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 I'm your wife, not your sister. Yeah, but that way I, I'm, I'm saved. Right? There are things that take place. I think I just confused that story up. But anyways, you get what I'm saying, Right? Like there are, there are things that take place that we have to begin to look at the factors that, that are going on in the life of the women that are in front of us. Listen, it says, they were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Wives, I'm gonna wrap up with this part on the wives. Fear will be your greatest problem if you give into it. I think it's great what we just saying this morning. We don't have to fear because he lives. Like the promise of that song, because Jesus lives, I don't have to fear. If I die, who cares? I'm dead on earth. I'm alive with God in Christ in heaven. If I lose everything for the sake of the gospel, who cares? Because I've gained a whole world that nobody else knows about right now. I don't enter into a marriage out of fear, but I enter into a marriage 
and in my relationship with my husband and those who are around me with an understanding that no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear of how I'm gonna be treated. I don't have to let it dissuade me from doing good, that I can continue to do good regardless of how my husband treats me. And let me lend with that on the women. I know we said verse six verses is a lot because honestly, the women were dealing with different circumstances Peter is very short with the men, but Paul, in my opinion, in Ephesians chapter five, lets the women or lets the men really get it, right? He explains to the men in a greater way that I believe we begin to understand. So men, what are the marks of a godly husband, right? They're going to kind of go together. His character displays his love. His character displays his love. Listen to what he says in verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, right? Considerate is this idea of with, an, with understanding, with a knowledge of, like getting to know them. And I know, listen, we can joke around and I can say, who's really ever gonna understand a woman? And all the guys would be like, amen, right? Like there are points and times where it's like, I just Okay, right? But that's okay. It's this idea of living in consideration with understanding, right? If we were to, if you, if, if you were here last year or a couple years ago, we did Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage with a pastor named Mark Gunger. We did it through video and stuff like that. And he talks about how men and women are different. Matter of fact, I, I probably should have put this picture up uh, this week because I texted it out. Uh, to, to a group of people, um, but it said a man's brain and it's a train track and it's straight. And it says a woman's brain and it's train tracks going all the different directions. And a guy goes, I don't understand. And the women go, there's no way you could ever understand, bro. <laughs> right? Like there are just things that are different. Mark Gunger talks about how men are one single focus and women are like noodles, Wires going everywhere, and every wire touches. And if there's a problem somewhere, then there's a problem everywhere. And a man's like, oh, the problem's over there. That stays in that box, and it doesn't get involved with anything else. But a husband displays his character through his love. And how I love, and how I study, and how I admire, and how I grow to know my wife. Can I tell you one thing that blew my mind? We went to a marriage conference. Oh, it's probably been five years ago uh, by Family Life. And I was, I was really encouraged by the amount of younger people who were there. But when we promoted this conference, all of our older people were like, we don't need a conference. Now, I know everybody's got their own opinions, but can I ask you this question, no matter where you're at? Do you study your spouse? Do you do whatever you can to get to know them better, to grow together, to take advantage of opportunities, to get to know my wife? Listen, this idea of what he says, when he says, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, is this idea of a knowledge of God's purpose and the principles in marriage. It's a knowledge of her strengths, her weaknesses in physical, emotional, and in her spiritual and social areas. Do I know where I can build my wife up and love on her and encourage her and study her and show her the love? Listen, the love that God called us to in the first place, which is a sacrificial love. 
that I love my wife as Christ loved the church. His character displays his love. And so men, how you love your wife in a sacrificial way speaks volumes to her about what you think about her. Do you lay aside your desires? Keep it in mind, well, we just talked about submission. Do you lay aside your desires, your feelings, your emotions at times that maybe get out of whack so that you can serve her in a greater way? Matter of fact, Tim Keller says this, men, you'll never be a good groom to your wife unless you're first good, a good bride to Jesus. You will never be a good groom to your wife unless you're a good bride to Jesus first. And so men, when I say this, when we talk about your character displays your love for your wife, are you working on developing and devoted to grow in your relationship with Jesus because your first and foremost priority is your relationship with Jesus first and your, your spouse second? Your kids third, church fourth. Please hear me out when I say that. And I'm not talking about sacrificing church for sports or anything else like that, right? Love of God first, love of spouse second, family third, church fourth, but I do everything I can to serve all in equal opportunities in ways. His character displays his love. That's the mark of a godly husband. And the last one, or the second one, his attitude and actions, listen, fortify the marriage. In other words, they strengthen it. They build a fortification, which is hard to penetrate. It doesn't allow the enemy in. If you were to go back and look at fortified castles or places like that back in the day, what they have around them, moats and drawbridges, they had ways that were kind of impenetrable. And you have to focus and think about your marriage and you have to fortify your marriage in that way. Your attitude and your actions speak volumes about how you can fortify your marriage. Do you do everything you can to stop any sin from getting into that thing? Do you do everything you can? As a matter of fact, we bring this up consistently. I know the biggest struggle, they say statistically 60% of men still struggle with porn, and that's even among Christians. It's easily accessible through phones. It's easily accessible through iPads and internet and everything else. But I'm gonna ask you this. Do you fortify your marriage by making sure that your wife knows exactly what you're able to see? Do you fortify your marriage by putting up guards and blocks so that there is no way you're accessing that and tearing down? Listen, you are tearing down your own marriage when you do that. You're not fortifying it. What you've done is you've just blown a hole in the wall of the castle and said, come on in. A mark of a godly husband is that his attitude and actions fortify, strengthen, build up, the very marriage that you have between your wife and you. What do you have to do? What do you need to put into check? What do you need to have as an accountability? Listen, you can have accountability among the men in this room, but I believe wholeheartedly. Matter of fact, we've talked about this consistently. My wife has passwords. Like, we have stuff on lockdown. Like, there's no way I'm getting on our TV and gonna be able to access adult content. You wanna know why? because she's got the password. I want to make sure that in every way, shape, or form, my wife, I have no passwords or secret. She knows them. She can ask them. She can access my email. She can access my Facebook. She can see whatever she wants to see. And grab my phone anytime. 
But I gotta ask you that question. Does your attitude and your actions fortify the marriage or are you breaking down the walls within your marriage? Because that's a huge trust thing. And a loving husband, and I'll keep in mind, this, this attitude or this action that he's talking about is also talking about husbands who may be unequally yoked to wives. But it's something we can learn in a great way. Husbands, you are in the same way to be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. So there's this idea that takes place. My attitude towards my wife is to understand and acknowledge that I respect her, I honor her, I treat my life like she's the queen of my world. I'm gonna do everything I can to support her, to encourage her. But listen, referencing what he's talking about, a physical and an emotional at times weaker, but not inferior person. There is nothing wrong with what scripture says here. But in today's world, the world says, oh, you can't call women that. Listen, the Bible is very clear that we just have to understand that we live with them and we treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as, but here's the beauty of it, because we just sang about being the heir and as heirs with Christ. And as heirs with Christ. Guess what that means? She gets equal, equally what you get. Right? She is the heir, just as we are heirs. She is an heir with the gracious gift of life, and we get those same things. And here's just how I want to wrap up. This whole idea of weaker is not a social entitlement. It's not about power. It's not about that women weren't equal. Women back then weren't equal in cultural context. But today, there is more equality than we've ever had. The well-being of the marriage is that the husband acknowledges his wife as a co-heir, as an heir in what's going on. Just as wives are not to obey their husbands when they're, command, or when they're commanded to disobey, husbands must never allow for their wives to become an excuse to sin. And listen, when we talk about this, we talk about his attitude and actions fortify the marriage. I wanna ask you this, and I want you to think about this from their overall thing, are you willing to sacrifice? A husband is willing to sacrifice. We can jump back to Ephesians chapter five if you want and it says that we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. But it's important that all of us understand this, that this idea of sacrifice is represented because Jesus sacrificed first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, in the blood that he shed on the cross to cover, to wash away, to remove any and all of our sins and our unrighteousness, right? That we're called to sacrifice as well. That Jesus is the head, that we are under Jesus and we are called to sacrifice. So here's the crazy thing about submission. When I sacrifice for my wife, guess what she's gonna willingly do? I guarantee it. Submit because she sees that you're willing to lay your life down for her. She sees that you're willing to put everything on the line and say, listen, what matters most is my character and my integrity. And what matters most is that my attitude and actions fortify this marriage. And then I'm gonna take everything I can to guard and protect and build up my family. Please hear me out. There are a lot of our marriages and a lot of our homes where you have kicked down one whole wall, or maybe you only got one wall standing and you've said to the world, come on in. You can do whatever you want in my family. You can do whatever you want in my marriage. You can do whatever you want in my work. 
and I'm not going to defend it at all. And Jesus says, that is not the way it's got to roll. You've got to fortify your marriage. You have to fortify your home and your family because the enemy is knocking at the door. And if you leave that door open or you leave the walls down, then enemy's going to walk right in. Some of you, the greatest enemy right now in your marriage is Satan because you have no walls up. And Satan is working overtime developing and strengthening and growing and trying to find ways that he can throw you off. Listen, society today gives us a different status and different privileges to women than the first century did. And we've seen that over and over and over again. But hear me out, men. It is our role and our responsibility to lovingly sacrifice for our wives and our kids. Christian men and women are called to live out their marriages in a way that honors God and denies what the world is teaching in today's culture. So does marriage matter? You better believe it. Because marriage represents the relationship between Christ and his church. That we, as the bride, lovingly submit to the headship of Jesus in everything. And that Jesus would sacrifice to the point of death on the cross showing his sacrificial love for the bride that he has asked to submit. Father, we pray, asking you for great grace in our marriage, knowing that you want to build us up, you want to encourage us, you want to strengthen our marriages. God, maybe there's somebody today who has never acknowledged or put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they can understand the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that they could say, I believe in my heart that God that, that Jesus died on the cross, I confess that and I believe he rose again. So Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our marriages. We know that marriage is under attack. We know that there are homes and families that are broken down because we have left walls in crumbles. God, may we fortify our marriages. May we strengthen and build our homes And as we build those, we will build them upon the word of God that Jesus is the cornerstone and that you would help us be the very people who impact and influence the lives of those who don't believe around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.